listening to First Church Charlotte. Our friends and guests, uh, we have a good time in church, so just relax. I promise you, we'll take good care of you. We might get a little loud, but I promise you, you are in good hands. We won't make you weird or strange or awkward in any way, and so we're glad you're here. Uh, It is my privilege to preach the Word of the Lord to you today, and so I am going to... uh, Direct your attention to Psalms 114 and verse number 7. Psalms 114. Let's stand together just for our reading, and then I will return you to your seats. I am preaching today from this subject, the dwelling place, the dwelling place of God. And so we're going to read at Psalms 114 and verse number 7. Tremble, O earth. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. Somebody say that with me. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. The dwelling place of God. Before you're seated, uh, slap your neighbor and say, I expect loud amens. You guys get so blessed by permission to slap somebody. It's like, it's like you were here, and then the preacher said, slap somebody, and you jumped right up here. You're like, yes, Lord, thy servant heareth thee. I am, send me, Lord. Uh, so we all of us, we all of us seek the presence of God in our lives. Can I have a big amen on that? Uh, we all of us have to value his presence. It's not enough to attend church occasionally. Uh, it's not enough to wear a label as a believer or a Christian. We all of us must pursue the presence of God in our respective lives. I've thought about this a lot in preparation for this week that our church is doing together, starting this, starting today, this week of, of prayer and fasting that we are doing. I've thought a lot about the presence of God, and I, I, I often, I often am, am aware in my own life of my need for prayer, and particularly if I'm going through any any difficult circumstance, or if I'm in need of an answer, then I, I will feel very strongly. Uh, this this call to prayer. And if you've served the Lord any amount of time, you probably resonate with that. It, it, you understand exactly what I mean when I say that. Um, I, I'm aware how we, when we are aware of need, then we naturally are inclined to pray. And I, I sometimes wish that we were as, as diligent about approaching the Lord and asking him, is there anything he needs us to do for his kingdom? Uh, sometimes the Lord looks for someone to do a work. God looks for an individual, like in the prophets of old where the, the prophet said the Lord looked for a man, someone to make up a hedge. Uh, I, I think I think in our life, uh, there is a tremendous blessing, a tremendous open door of ministry when we simply are not motivated by our need, but we have a hunger to be involved in God's work. 
So that's two different, really, approaches to the presence of God. On one hand, we're aware of our need, and we go to the Lord, and we say, Lord, help me, save me, fix me, enrich in me. Give me a raise, a winning Powerball ticket, whatever you would like, Lord. Add a zero. We, we would like, we would like we, we're aware of our need, yes? And we go to the Lord with our need, but that's only, really, that's, that's only, that's less than half of our, our correct approach to God because it's actually, we know from the scripture that it is better to give than to receive, right? It's better to give than to receive. And so more valuable than our approach to God saying, I need this, I need healing, I need answers, I need solutions, I need to understand, I need blessing, I need a raise, I need a job, I need a girlfriend. I don't need a girlfriend, but some of you guys may (laughs) pray that prayer. Um, Trust me, I've got the girlfriend department covered 100%. I got a girlfriend, I got a baby mama, and I have a wife. All three in one. So, um, but you, you know, when you're single, you might, you might, Lord, help me, fix me. I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired of being broke. I'm tired of being poor. How many have ever been tired of anything? Man, that was a pitiful amen. Uh, so anyway, uh, this is what I want you to see. That's only half. That, that's less than half. There's also the approach. God, can you use me to do something for you? Is there something I can do for you, oh God? Is there a prayer I could pray for someone today? Is there a word of encouragement I can pray? I pray that we as people of faith are, are deeply committed to having a ministry of encouragement. One of my favorite characters in the New Testament is Barnabas. You know, Barnabas is not even the guy's name. You probably thought Barnabas was his name for years. I know I did. Barnabas wasn't his name. That was his nickname. His name was Joseph. Uh, read, the, read the book of Acts. You'll learn some stuff. <laughs> and so his name was Joseph. Uh, his nickname was Barnabas. The church gave him a nickname. Now, if the church gives you a nickname, it, it shows something about who you are. People are comfortable with you. People have affection. Nobody gets a nickname name uh, without either intense dislike or intense affection. But if you fall into one of those two camps, you will get a nickname. So Barnabas was the nickname given to Joseph and the name means son of encouragement. Everywhere Barnabas is going, he's encouraging somebody. He's looking to help somebody. He's the guy that sees Saul stuck in Tarsus with great anointing but no place to preach. And he's the one who makes a journey to Tarsus and said, Paul, I can and use you in Antioch. And Paul's like, well, I've already tried that in Jerusalem. And they, they ran me off. They wouldn't accept me. They threatened me. Nothing but trouble everywhere. And Joseph, a.k.a. Barnabas, a.k.a. son of encouragement, said to Paul, no, no, no. In Antioch, there is an open door of opportunity. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. God, can I help you today? Can I pray for somebody today? Can I witness to somebody today? Can I make a difference today? We all of us need the presence of God. We, we desperately need the presence of God. Uh, it doesn't matter if people think we're religious. We need the presence of God. It doesn't matter if we served God for 279 years. We need the presence of God. Uh, interesting story in the news this week about a, a man uh, in the jail. He's in prison or in jail down in Miami right now. He's on uh, trial. And um, his uh, name... Uh, as everyone knew him was, uh, let's see, Khalid, uh, 
the son of his royal highness, <laughs> king of Saudi Arabia. So his name was Khalid bin al-Saud of the house of Saud. And he uh, was known widely as the son of the king of, Abra- uh, of Ara- uh, Saudi Arabia. International investors knew him. Uh, he traveled in an entourage of Rolls Royces and Ferraris. His every whim was taken care of by uniformed housekeepers and armed bodyguards. He had a highly educated uh, uh, British-born CEO who handled all his business affairs. Uh, He was a well-connected international banker who marketed international deals to a select few, and he told story after story about growing up in the house of Saud. He had been pitted against his royal brothers, he said, in an expensive game to see who could outdo the other in spending. Uh, He was in negotiations to purchase 30% of the famed Fontainebleau Hotel in Miami Beach for $440 million. He was selling early access to what was supposed to be the biggest IPO in history, initial public offering in history. That's where a company goes public and sells shares of ownership in their uh, in their company. Uh, he was supposed to have inside access on that, um, uh, selling Aramco, which is the Saudi Arabian oil giant. Um, it was that deal was supposed to be worth almost two trillion dollars. He was often overheard by people talking on the phone to the likes of Bill Gates and uh, former President Barack Obama and pro- former President Bill Clinton. And he would say to his friends, I'm so sick and tired of President Trump calling me and inviting me to the White House. And he would pretend to have phone calls with his father, King of Saud. And he carried his favorite beloved companion, Foxy, a chihuahua, that he draped in diamonds and designer dog clothes and toted around in a $3,000 Louis Vuitton bag. He wore a nine-carat diamond on You get the idea. There was this one problem. Uh, This uh, man was not who he said he was. Yes, he lived in a penthouse on Fisher Island, that super wealthy enclave uh, just south of Miami. Yes, he spent his life on his yacht and a private, another private yachts. And yes, he had pictures of the royal family on his Instagram account. Uh, there is, however, a big problem. This Prince Khalid was actually Anthony Enrique Gignac, a Colombian orphan adopted by an American couple and transported to Michigan when he was about six years old. For the last few years, he's fooled everybody, and they all thought he was one of the uh, royal princes of Saudi Arabia, and evidently, Saudi Arabia thought this was the funniest thing ever, because they never made any phone calls to straighten anybody out. They're like, if you guys believe that, I have a bridge to sell you. And so, this individual, now he's on trial in Miami. None of this stuff was true. He was a con man par excellence. But here's his problem. Um, uh, He was especially effective because evidently he has a mental illness and he really believes that he is Prince Khalid of the house of Saud and uh, no he's uh, not that individual he is an orphan from Colombia he fooled everybody you see here's the point God's presence is the final arbiter of whether or not we are who we say we are. I can act religious, I can walk religious, I can talk religious, but if God's presence is not with me. So here's what I want to say. 
I'm speaking as pastor of this church. I'm thankful for the good things the Lord has allowed us to do. We're involved in various things. Don already mentioned our mentoring ministry on Wednesday nights, but we also do uh, uh, dinners for needy families at Thanksgiving. In fact, Venice was at the grocery store last night. My wife ran into her getting ready for that. We do uh, a project, what was it, project? Um, Operation Shoebox, Shoe where we take get gifts. We do that at Christmas. Uh, we, we try to do things on a regular basis, and we want to do more than we've ever done. We're thankful for all of that. We, we want to have uh, worship and praise in this house. We want to be authentic in that, and we're thankful that the Lord's presence meets with us here. We want to be doctrinally sound. In fact, uh, we, 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 we want that. We believe in that. We fight for that. Uh, in fact, today, uh, Veronica, uh, one of our first steppers, is going to be baptized in Jesus' name after the end of this service. Um, we, we want that. Uh, that's, that's a beautiful thing. But hear me. Uh, I want to tell you something that is profoundly true. And I'm not going to try to preach this to you. I'm not going to try to rally you into an emotional agreement. I want you to get this. I want it to hit you. If you don't make time for God in your life, there won't be much presence of God in your life. It's not the preacher's job. That's your job. Sometimes I think we make a a little bit, not a large error, but a small error by emphasizing I'm going to pray so much in a certain day. My goal is to pray. Um, And prayer can often seem hard. And so if prayer ever seems hard because you're rushing, you're rushing, you're distracted, you're wrestling, blah, 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 life's going everywhere. Um, If you find that and you find prayer hard, it's not prayer that's failing. It is, this will surprise you, it's quiet time that is failing. You have not created spaces in your life. This is one thing that is true, absolutely true. If you create some quiet time, it'll be easy to pray. But if you don't create some quiet time, it'll be difficult to pray. So rather than me asking you to make a commitment, well, I'm going to bless God, pray so long every day. Rather than me getting you to do that, I want you to say, I'm blocking some time every day. And that is my quiet time. Sometimes I'm going to worship the Lord. Sometimes I'm going to read the scripture. Sometimes I'm going to find a place and get on my face and call upon the name of the Lord. But I am setting aside some time. And I'm going to say that's God's time. That is quiet time. If you will do that, prayer will be the easiest, most natural thing in your life. If you're struggling to pray, it's because you're not making space to pray. God has to dwell somewhere in your schedule. And all the busyness and all the obligation and all the distraction of our life, God has to have somewhere where you get to walk with him and talk with him and stop the distraction and turn off the football game and lay aside the book you've been reading and lay aside the hobby that is taking your time and say, I'm making some time for me and God. And I'm going to say, Lord Jesus, I'm right here right now and I want to walk with you. I want to bless your name. I want to tell you what I need from you, and then I want to offer myself for anything you need from me. (laughs) 
presence of God does not happen automatically. And what do I, what do I mean? Yes, God is everywhere. God inhabits all the world. That is the case. But the Lord expresses his presence in certain times and certain places. That is not necessarily the same thing. Uh, there is any number of things happening around the world right now that are shameful. And God's presence is there. Yes, because he is everywhere. But his presence is not there in the sense that anyone can perceive and be edified by his presence. And so it is. You go all the way back into the beginning of the story of humanity and divinity and you find a garden. And there in that garden, you see a place that the Lord has intentionally made. It's not a forest. It is a garden. And there's a distinction in the Hebrew language from the garden and just wilderness. It's not simply wilderness. It is a garden. It has been prepared. It has been ordered. There is the wall of protection around this garden. And if the enemy is going to attack God's creation and this place of unity and this place of the expression of God's creation and God's presence, the serpent has to come into the garden. And so it is. We know temptation comes into all our life. That does not mean there was no point to setting aside a place and saying this is the place where humanity and divinity has fellowship together. That's the point of the garden. Yes, humanity's there, but divinity is there too. And they have fellowship one with the other. And after sin splits apart that spiritual unity and they are separated from each other, now comes the age, the years, the generations of of separation. And yet God is not content to allow us to be separated from his presence. And so as he begins to walk and as he begins to move across the earth, he finds those who will walk with him. And and he speaks to Abraham and Abraham hears his voice. And Abraham responds and he gives Abraham the challenge. And and Abraham responds to this challenge to leave the comfort of everything he knows and go look for a city whose builder and maker is God. What are you doing, Abraham? I'm looking for a place that is is God-ordained and God-structured. I want to find a place. It is going to be built. It is intentional. It's not an accident in a wilderness. It's not some corner of a forest. It is built by God. It is intentionally prepared and cared for and nurtured and the distractions are pulled out and the vines are pushed back. Are you seeing what we're saying? And we're saying this is the place where we walk with God in the same manner that any gardener has to take care with that garden and say, there's some things that can't grow in this garden. So it is with your walk with God. You have to be the gardener of your own place of spiritual enjoyment with God. You have to carefully tend that place and say, no, there's things that could distract me, but if I let them into my life, I won't have place for the presence of God. We must be hungry for God's presence in our life. And so 
God would dwell with his people. And so after uh, Moses or after Abraham and after the Egyptian bondage and after Moses leads the people out, Moses go up, goes up to Mount Sinai and there and there he inquires direction of the Lord. The Lord gives him these, these commandments on stone. And when he comes back down the mountain, you, you see this moment where the people in their shame and in their error and in their ignorance, they have made a golden calf that is a throwback to the Egyptian way of knowing God and they struggle with with this. Yes, they had prayed to the Hebrew God and asked for deliverance, but they also wondered if maybe these gods of Egypt were maybe better at certain things. This is the lure of polytheism and this is why the great gift of the Jewish faith to the world is monotheism. You see, in polytheism there is no morality because you can always appeal to the God who agrees with whatever you choose. But in monotheism there's a right and there's a wrong. And you can't go appeal to another God and say, would you take up for me because I want to live crazy and act the fool like you? No. In monotheism, that is impossible. And so here they think, well, maybe these gods of Egypt can bless me in a certain way. And they, they offend God's righteousness. And they offend God's uh, holiness and the sanctity of his nature. And so what do they do? They, they, they having made this, this calf, they, they receive Moses. Moses throws the tablets of stone down. And judgment begins to come upon the people. And the Lord says, to Moses at uh, in, uh, along in this story. He, he makes this statement to Moses. Look, you guys are going to go up to the promised land, but, but I'm not going to go with you because I, I, I'm afraid that although I want to be with you and although everything I've done is so I can be with you, I'm afraid that you can't stand my righteousness and judgment will strike you. And he says, so this is what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to keep my promises. Hear me, church. I'm going to keep my promises, the Lord said. I'm going to keep my covenant, the Lord said. I'm still going to give you the promised land. This is all Exodus 33 for you for you Bible studiers. I hope you all are Bible studiers. Uh, so Exodus 33. I'm going to keep my commandment with you. And I am going to still give you every promise. I'm going to keep the covenant. There is no risk of me not doing what I said I would do. I swore it unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I said I would give it to their seed. I'm going to send an angel with you. Uh, I, I, I feel like it would be safer for you if I send an angel with you, and I am not going to go up in the midst of you. You're still getting the land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not go up in the midst of thee, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the people heard this, they mourned, and no man put on him his, or, his ornaments. They were, they were sad at this separation between God's presence. Remember, his presence has been with them in the wilderness. He was a pillar of fire by night, manifested as a pillar of fire by night, and manifested as a pillar of cloud by day. And as that manifestation of God would move, so the encampment of the host of the Israelites would 
move with that. And they had had God with them. But now he says, I'm going to give you everything I said I was going to give you, but I'm not going to go with you. Maybe it would be safer if there's a little bit more distance between my holiness and your rebellion because you cannot stand with my righteousness and be safe. This is the, this is the moment, this is the idea expressed in the 33rd uh, chapter of the book of Exodus. And, and I want to point out something here. Uh, the Lord is not, you know, just get, leaving them without power. Uh, the angels of the Lord are a manifestation of the power of the Lord. And over 230 times in Scripture, we see angels carrying out the work of the Lord. Uh, they have, some of them can express themselves visibly when the Lord wills it. We know from the story in, uh, excuse me, in uh, Daniel 9, we know that they can move essentially anywhere as fast as they will. We know there are 10,000 times 10,000 angels, or as Revelation 5 says, thousands upon thousands. Uh, uh, the angels are spoken of in the scripture as watchers, as hosts of God, as holy ones, as ministering spirits, as flames of fire, as elect, as sons of God, morning stars, sons of the mighty, princes, thrones, dominions, powers, the counsel of God. God, you see that when he says, I am going to send an angel with you, it's not as though they're going to suffer from a lack of power. They're going to have all the power they need. They're going to have all the anointing they need. They're going to still win whenever they're faced with the enemy. There's this one uh, circumstance that is going to be different though, and it is this. My presence is not going to be with you. And Moses Oh, I want you to see the kind of heart that God wants to walk with because Moses is going to show you the kind of heart. Moses sits down, as it were, and he says, Lord, if you're not going, none of us are going. I'm not satisfied with power. Mm. I'm not satisfied with promise. I don't want to be a Christian that's simply satisfied because we had a powerful service. I don't want to just be satisfied because we are the inheritors of promise. I don't want to simply look at the blessings of God and say, oh, that's enough for me. That's all I really wanted was the blessings of God. I don't simply want to be given the promised land and say, that's all I really cared about was milk and honey. No, I want to sit down right beside Moses and I want to say, God, if you're not going, uh, I'm not going either. I'm not going anywhere if your presence will not go with me. I'm not satisfied to be blessed. I want to walk with you. I'm not satisfied to be healed. I want your presence in my life. 
You see, God will give us his presence. And sometimes we, we even can err and, 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 and be wrong in uh, the presence of God in our flesh. I'll give you an example, the sad story of the house of Israel when they were defeated in the army of the Philistines. And, and they came up with the plan that we will use the Ark of the Covenant. And this is that mercy seat where the Shekinah glory of God is expressed and where the blood of covering is offered uh, to push forward the sins of the people until that fulfillment of the law and the prophets when Jesus Christ, a perfect sacrifice, doesn't just roll ahead sins, but he destroys sin. He destroys death, hell, and the grave. And uh, they would see this, this Shekinah, this expression of God's glory, not visible to all the hosts, but to the high priest in that moment of, 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 of spiritual uh, sacrifice where the, the blood is uh, sprinkled on the mercy seat. And, and that's what this ark is for. This ark is not a, a weapon of warfare. It's not about them getting what they need. It's about God's presence being with them. They need a victory. But God's presence isn't about their need. He chose to be with him then. He chose to walk with him. So you cannot leverage God into giving you what you need by risking his presence. It's as though, Lord, if you don't heal me, I won't serve you anymore. That will never work. That is the same error of taking the Ark of the Covenant and leading it out in front of the people and saying, if you don't give us victory, we'll risk our presence, our Shekinah. If the enemy is going to kill us, you might as well take our Shekinah. No, 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 no. That is exactly backwards. When I'm blessed, I want you with me. And if I'm struggling, I want you with me. If I'm on top of the mountain, I want you with me, oh God. If I'm on my deathbed, I want you with me. I don't need blessing to choose you. I choose you. And if you choose to bless me, that's okay. But I'm committed to you in the sunshine. I want his presence. And in the storm, I want his presence. I choose God. That's the struggle in our lives. Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord right now. I hope you feel, you understand the presence of the Lord in our house. That's the struggle in our life between faith and trust. Faith and trust. Faith and trust. Faith and trust. Faith is the that, that sense of certainty. I believe God's going to do it. And so you say, I believe, and, and you guys have heard this before. I've taught and preached this several times. But just to remind you the difference in, in, in relation to having the presence of God in our life. Faith says God's going to do this. He's going to fight my battles. He's going to protect me. He's going to heal me. He's going to give me the Powerball ticket, etc., etc. That that's faith. Good luck with that. And if you win, pay your tithes. The devil's had that money long enough. Uh, <laughs> you guys know I'm kidding, right? It's just a fun joke in our house. So anyway, uh, faith says God's going to do, God's going to do, God's going to do. Uh, and, and, and your faith is in what God is going to do. And faith can be greedy. Oh, you didn't hear me say that. But faith can be as greedy as a raffle ticket. Gimme, 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 gimme. Gimme, 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 gimme. Who gimme one? Who gimme one? Who gimme two? Two, 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 two. Who gimme three? Who gimme good three? We live our life going around. Gimme, 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 gimme. That's the Lucifer problem. Self above God. That's the Lucifer problem. God's great, but hey, I'm looking pretty good too. And he turned worship to the Holy One to himself. Leads to rebellion. Rebellion leads to judgment. Rinse and repeat. 
And so faith says, give me, give me, give me. Trust says, doesn't matter what you give me. I'm your man. If God never heals me again, he's healed me enough for me to serve him all eternity. If God never blesses me again, he has blessed me enough for all eternity. Do you see what I'm saying? That's trust. That's the difference in this using an ark as a lever to manipulate God into giving you victory. That's not how it's going to work. And what happens to them? They lose the ark. Now, the high priest at the time was Eli. It was Eli was a flawed man uh, in, in many ways. But yet, the Bible tells us, and, and there is no hesitancy in this in the Scripture. We see it quite clearly. Uh, the passages in 1 Samuel chapter number 4. Um, and when he came, see, Eli sat on a seat by the wayside, watching, waiting for the ark to return. The Bible says, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. For all his flaws, he was a flawed high priest. He was a flawed father. He was a flawed administrator of uh, the tabernacle. He still had a zeal for the presence of God. But he had, like the Pharisees in the time of Paul, Paul said they have zeal without knowledge. They're zealous. They want us to go back to the law of Moses. They're zealous, but it's zeal without knowledge. Paul said, I've been them. I understand them. The problem is they don't understand me, this new thing that God is doing in the earth. And so he has zeal. But he was the high priest who should have said, you cannot use the ark for war. We do not risk the presence of God because we need a victory. That was his job. But he gave in. He was flawed. And yet he had a heart that trembled for the presence of God. Let me say this. And I want to speak for this whole church. We are hungry for God's presence in our life. We are hungry to know that he walks with us. We are hungry to know him not just in the fellowship of his blessing. But in the fellowship of his suffering also. I want to know him. I want this church to know him. I want this church to be blessed, but let me tell you, I'm not going to trade the presence of God for blessing. I want you to be blessed, but I pray you never trade the presence of God for blessing because the greatest thing any of us have is God's presence in our lives. However committed you are to having God's presence, he is more committed to you, and God is looking for a way to be with his people. At the dedication of the temple, and I'm almost done, Preston, you can come at the dedication of the temple. Now, just to catch everyone up on the same page, the first stage of uh, the worship to God through the house of Israel was in a tabernacle. That was a tent. It was a pretty fancy tent, uh, but it was a tent. And then Solomon, that greatest king of Israel, built a temple. And so you'll often hear people divide uh, two stages. There's the tabernacle stage, there's the first temple, and then there is the second temple. Right now we're talking about when they finally built God a house that he might be his glory expressed in the heart of Israel. When that happened, at that moment, uh, what you see is, is a king in this house. And there's 120 priests ministering before the Lord in this house. And it's all part of a very formal worship service. Much more formal than we have now. Very formal, very ordered. And uh, Solomon, in the form of a prayer... And again, you guys have heard me preach this, but Solomon makes this prayer, and he asks this. He asks, in the form of a prayer, God a question. And he asks God this question. God, will you dwell among humanity? God.
God, will you dwell among your people? Solomon's prayer is in the form of a question to God. And you, you see God answer Solomon's prayer, yes. God's presence will dwell among humanity. And the fire, the sign, fire falls in the first temple. And it's so thick that the hundred, notice the significance of the 120, the 120 priests that are supposed to minister before the Lord in the temple cannot minister because the glory of the Lord has filled the house. God wants to be among his people. So, we go through time. Jesus is born, that perfect lamb of God for sinners slain. He lives a, high, a perfect high priest, a perfect tabernacle, a perfect altar. He becomes the in one and all completion of Mosaic fulfillment, the law of Moses. Sorry for using ecclesiastical words. The law of Moses fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And at his death, the veil of the temple is rent. So the Shekinah can be expressed to all. And Jesus tells his disciples, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And so when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there's 120. You see the same amount of people? 120, upper room, 120 in the first temple. And the same sign. Will God dwell with men? Yes. Fire falls. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. God wants to express his presence in your heart. What? Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit? God is moving all heaven and all earth to be with you. And at the end of this grace story, when we are all together with him in glory, you read at the end of the book of Revelations, you read this passage right here. I saw the holy city, the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Where do you hear the voice? From the throne. Saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Do you see? The dwelling place of God is with men and he will live with them. This is all Revelations 21 and 3. He will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And I love this next verse. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away uh, if you if you have children and you've been away with them for a while you just you just miss them so stinking bad Particularly if they're little and sweet and not old and mean like the teenagers who just want money. God save us from them teenagers. I love y'all. So, you just, if you're in love and you're away from your loved one, 
man, it's just miserable. I'll never forget one time uh, I had been away from my wife preaching of revivals and she was sweet talking me on the phone and driving me crazy. And I'll never forget driving back to Lake Charles. I drove like a felon. I drove so fast. I told myself, if you get pulled over, you're not getting a ticket. You're going to jail. But the Lord... was merciful and having driven like a felon one in seven states I burned that little Honda cord I had all the way across Texas and I got home and I was so disappointed when I got there half the church was over their house and I just wanted to slip her off in the back room and kiss her as fast as possible we were engaged dear people we were engaged not saying I didn't kiss her before I was engaged I'm just saying, I never kissed my wife before I married her, so. She wasn't my wife before I married her, so. (laughs) Y'all heard me say that before. If you love someone, you want to be with them. A text is not good enough. If you love the Lord... You need to make time in your life to be with him. You need to make some quiet spaces. And you need to say, look, everything else is on hold right now. This is me and God right now. I may weep. I may praise. I may shout. I may read. But this is God's time. I'm making some time to be with that lover of my soul. I'm making time to be with God. I want to stand with Moses. And I want to say, Lord, if you're not going with us, I'm going to sit down right here because I'm not going, promise is not enough for me, God. I want your presence to go with us. I want your dwelling place to be our home. Let's all stand. Our ministry team is going to come down to the front right now. We're going to turn this whole house into a prayer service. If you have a need here today, I believe the Lord will meet your need. If the Lord feels a long way away from you, I want you to know he didn't move away from you. You moved away from him. If God feels a long way away, I promise you, you're the one who moved. But if you will draw nigh unto him, he will draw nigh unto you. He'll meet you halfway. He's like the father of the prodigal son who doesn't just stand at the gate and wait for the son to get where he's supposed to be. But he runs to meet you on the way. And when he meets you, he falls on you. And he places a kiss on you. And he escorts you back to where you are supposed to be. God's presence will be as near to you as you make space in your life to receive him and host him. You cannot draw nigh unto him without being blessed by his presence in your life. And so this week of passion, this passion week as we call it, starts today and it will last until next Sunday. We do seven days of prayer and fasting. I'm going to ask you to fast something. Try to fast something every day. Not necessarily asking you to go without food for seven days. But I I really think that a consistent effort is helpful. One day, fast, whatever. uh, 
maybe fast coffee. I know that'll kill about half of you not to have your coffee. It'll be good for you. You'll survive. One day, if you have some favorite drink, fast that drink. Uh, Unless your favorite drink is beer, and then I want you to fast all week long. Okay, so pick a day maybe, and if you've never fasted, try a sunrise to sunset or a Jewish fast, they call it. Don't fast, don't eat breakfast, wait till the sun goes down to eat. You could do several. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.